there is a, um, an idea in our culture, popular um, idea, you've heard of it, some of you have heard of it, called the black swan, or what we call a, a black swan event. And if you've heard that term or familiar with that term, when we hear black swan or black swan event, it's really just meant to be a statement of impossibility, right? Something that's, that's impossible, like we might say, you know, when pigs fly. <laughs> and if you use that term, when we use that term, it's said because no one in the history of the world, I guess, um, has seen a flying pig, I guess. So it's, you know, when pigs fly, this or that will happen. Um, someone will be in 10 Super Bowls, you know, in their career. I don't know, but I guess uh, that happens, right? But the, uh, because no one has ever seen a, a flying pig, you know, we use that term. Well, the term black swan, going all the way back to um, 16th century London, this was a long time ago, right? They had newspapers back then, and it was a common thing put up by these Londoners. It was even in, in, in certain press that, you know, they would use this casually and say, well, you know, a black swan, this will never happen until, that's what made this famous, in 1697, a Dutch explorer who was uh, doing some exploration in Western Australia actually saw a black swan for the very first time, okay? And this kind of, since that time, this, you know, we call it a black swan event or an experience. It's something that takes us by surprise, right? I mean, really takes us by surprise, right? Not just somebody, you know, gives you a birthday present. I mean, this is something that you didn't believe was it could be possible. No one really believed that there was any such thing as a black swan. And all of a sudden, it takes you by surprise. And in a manner of speaking, you see the world in a new way. That's what we mean by a black swan event. Well, I would say this morning, in the life of faith, which we have been studying... The way forward in the opening video is really a way of talking about the life of faith, right? If you were here last fall, we talked about the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And the summary of the first 11 chapters of Genesis is, you know, mankind on his own, left to his own devices, does not, is not making this work. Things are going from bad to worse. Man basically screws up his own life, blows up everything that God gives him. Genesis chapter 11, we looked at this. And, and, and doesn't, you know, is moving in the wrong direction. It's not a way forward. And in Genesis chapter 12, we started this series, there's a new way forward. God says, listen, the world is not going to end in, in destruction the way it did in the flood. It's not going to end the way it seems like it's doing here in the Tower of Babel. We looked at that in the fall. There is a way forward. This is the way of faith. That's why we're studying the life of Abraham. And I would suggest to you in this passage, we're in Genesis 18 again this morning. You have a copy of the Bible. Genesis 18, we're going to see Abraham in the life of faith. Abraham has his own kind of black swan event in his relationship with God and it's instructive to you and to me. So if you copy of the Bible, Genesis 18, we were uh, here last Sunday, this Abraham and Sarah get these three visitors, there are two of them are angels, one of them turns out to be God himself and we're going to pick up there in verse 18 through 25 in a message titled The Exercise of Faith, The Exercise of Faith, follow along as I read. Verse 16, when the men got up to leave, this is two angels and the Lord himself, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. 
Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on the earth will be blessed through him, reiterating what he said in chapter 12. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised for him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done if it's as bad as the outcry has reached me. If not, I will know. Then the men turned away and went toward Sodom, the two angels, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Abraham speaking to God himself, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you, to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the earth do right? The exercise of faith. What are the exercise or exercises of faith? The first one I would suggest to you is this. You need to get to the heart of the matter in your relationship with God, okay? What does it mean to have a living relationship with God? You need to get to the heart of the matter with God. These are strong words if you're following the the logic here. Um, God is basically come through. He says, am I going to hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? And as he's kind of walking down this road, he lets it out in verse 20. He says, let me tell you what I'm going to do. The outcry of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the wickedness of this people, it's come into my ears. And I'm going down there now on this dispatch with these angels to see if things are as bad as they seem to be. And if they are as bad as they seem to be, I'm going to wipe it out. Okay. And Abraham is listening to this. He's growing in his relationship with God. He hears something that doesn't seem to line up so much with him. Right? Do you have this in your relationship with God? It's kind of the point. And Abraham says, listen, should the judge of all the earth do right? Is this right? Are you going to sweep everybody away? Every last person in this town? Right? He wants to get to the heart of the matter. But here's the idea, guys. Abraham is responding to a God he knows. Okay? He's responding to... Abraham doesn't have a second-hand faith. Okay? He doesn't just, you know, it's not just about podcasts and sermons. Glad you're here this morning. That's how I make a living. But it's not, Abraham had a first-hand faith. He had a real relationship with God. And God, in this relationship, right, they're walking. Abraham walked along with them, the two angels and God. God is not giving Abraham a command here or a directive here, verse 17. He's sharing his heart. Then the Lord said, you ever have someone walk along with you? You're on the phone, you're over dinner, and something just comes out. And I think, you know, should I, I just want to say something. I'm, I'm giving you some information. He's sharing his heart. Shall I hide from Abraham? Abraham, he's sort of talking out loud in Abraham's presence to these two angels. Shall I hide from him? 
what I'm about to do. See, this guy's important to me. I have a relationship with him. He has a relationship with me. And because of that, I want to let out what's in my heart right now. In a manner of speaking, God was giving Abraham, you might call it inside information. Right? Get to the heart of the matter. I got a call this week. One of my you know, closest friends in life. And, and he, we were talking about, I don't even remember why we were talking, what, what the point of the call was. But in the middle of the call, I remember he said, I want to tell you something. You know, he kind of gave me some inside information. I said, what? About his uh, youngest daughter. And, uh, and he said, well, we haven't told anybody yet, him and his wife. We haven't told anybody yet. But she's, I know, you know, I know this whole family. She's expecting, right? Confidential information which I'm now sharing with you. But anyway, he, he's a thousand miles from here. But the point is, why do people do that? They do that. People, if someone shares with you inside information, they do that because they trust you, right? We haven't told anybody yet. And because they value your relationship. The same thing, this is what God wants to do with you. It's what God wants to do with me. I was reading along with some of you in, in our 365 reading, Mark chapter, uh, the book of Mark. And I read, I think it was just yesterday or the day before, Mark chapter 9. Now in Mark chapter 9, getting to the heart of the matter, think about this. Jesus Christ is with his disciples. And you're supposed to see yourself in the person of the disciples when you read the Gospels, right? This is how we learn what it means to walk in faith in the New Testament. And two times... In Mark chapter 9, twice in one chapter, Jesus says the most unbelievable thing. You think this is inside information. He says to his disciples, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. Two times in one chapter. And you know what the disciples do? The first time, the disciples, they say, they, they don't understand what Jesus is saying and they keep it to themselves. This is almost the exact words. The second time, a handful of verses later, it says they don't understand what Jesus says and they're afraid to ask him about it. They keep it to themselves. They're afraid to ask him about it. This reticence, this silence, right? God, Jesus gave them some inside information. That not only limits human relationships, right? Your spouses do this to you. Your friends do this to you. You do this on phone calls. Do you respond? Do you say, I'm going to keep that to myself. I'm not going to ask, ooh, that's a strange thing you just said. I'm not sure I, I want to ask you about that. I'm going to keep it to myself. That kind of silence, that kind of unresponsiveness, that kind of reticence is not only limiting, you might say, damaging to human relationships. The same goes with a relationship with God. Right? You want to grow in faith? You got to get to the heart of the matter. This bothered Abraham. Okay, this is why this is here. It bothered him. He says, listen, something's not adding up for me. The God of all the world, who's just, who's righteous, should the judge of the earth do all this? God, this seems too casual to me. You're going to wipe out all the sea. This seems sloppy. This seems uncaring. God, what about the grandmothers in this town? What about the little kids in this town? What about my nephew Lot? Okay, seems something doesn't seem right here. The life of faith, here's the point, friends, getting to the heart of the matter. It's about having a living relationship with God. Do you have one? Right? Is there give and take? It's a, it's, it's a relationship where real things matter. It's a relationship where hard things get discussed. 
It's a relationship where genuine discovery happens, right? And let me say this. Some of us run our relationship with God kind of like an adult version of Simon Says. I don't know if you remember that game, in other words. But that's not, if that's how you run your relationship with God, you know, God said it, that settles it, you know, uh, I'm done, right? You know, you don't really ask any questions. You don't really probe and get on your knees and say, what does this mean? What does this say? What does this mean to me? Then that, maybe that's the reason you're not actually growing as a Christian, right? You gotta get to the heart of the matter, Jesus twice says to his disciples, guys, I want to tell you something. My whole life has been about this moment. It's coming up. And now I, I'm going to unburden and I'm going to tell you what I've been holding back for three years. In a very short time, they're going to arrest me and they're going to kill me. And he says, they kept it to themselves. They were afraid and they didn't ask him anything. Okay? You want to grow, you've got to get to the heart of the matter like the disciples, I think we often keep things to ourselves. We're too afraid to ask. But let me say something, guys. If you want to grow, you got to put down the secondary sources. Okay? Or if that's, not the, if that's the only way you're growing in a relationship with God, just this sermon you're getting from me, just some podcast you're getting, some little, you know, um, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, peppering in of, of listening to the Bible, you're not going to grow. You got to get to the primary source. And you got to ask hard questions. And you got to, and you, and you have to get on your knees and say, God, should the judge of all the earth do this? God, help me understand what you're saying. Help me understand what this means. Help me understand what this means for me. Okay? You got to get to the heart of the matter. Second thing we learn in this passage from Abraham. The exercise of faith. You, you need to learn not to take yes for an answer. Do not take yes for an answer. This is a poker game Abraham's having here. And he's, God is about to judge the city. I just mentioned that, okay? And Abraham, it bothers him. And he wants to ask God about it. In fact, he does. Verse 25. And, you know, if, if this wasn't so serious, and we're going to read the rest of this chapter right now, but maybe you've heard this before. You could almost put a laugh track here, okay, these verses, when this little back and forth, it's, it's almost comical. And if it wasn't so serious, it would be comical, but, it, but I'd say this. It suggests to us, as we read these verses, what a real relationship with God could and should look like. Don't take yes for an answer. Verse 26. The Lord said, after this kind of challenge by Abraham, God, should the judge of all the earth act this way? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Wow. Right? This is touchdown. You imagine this. Abraham has the chutzpah, the courage to call God out on something that doesn't make sense to him. Abraham's even one to put the number 50 in there, verse you know, 23. What if there's 50 people? Now, we don't know a lot about Sodom and Gomorrah, but there's five cities of the plain. I've read things from as many as 500,000 to 250,000, but there's thousands of people. Okay? So Abraham saying there's 50 is, is kind of making a statement, Right? If there's 50 people, the Lord says, listen, if I find 50 people in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. But here's the question. 
for you and for me. Number one, are you actually in the real relationship with God? Do you really get to the heart of the matter with God? Are you having real discussions about difficult questions? And if you are, how soon do you stop, right? Do you take yes for an answer? Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, <laughs> though I am nothing but dust and ashes, right? He learned something from, I don't know, marketing 101, I guess. What is the number of the, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50, right? A little poker with God. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? God, if you're going to go 50, will you go 45? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Isn't that beautiful? Once again, he spoke up to him. What if only 40 are found there? You can see him shaking his boots, maybe. He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Then Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, the Lord, for the sake of 20, he will not destroy. I can imagine Abraham saying to himself, if only my friends could see me now. <laughs> right? I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. Now, then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left Abraham and returned home. Listen, this ends unfinished in a manner speaking, right? We don't really know, at least at the end of this chapter, you know, who won this poker match did Abraham actually get what he wanted? I don't know. Some would say, some scholars would say, or, or the obvious would say, he's looking to try to save his nephew and his family. And I don't know, there's actually not, so I don't know if there's quite 10 of them, but did he get what he wanted? We don't know if Abraham got what he wanted, but I would say this from the standpoint of the book of Genesis. God got what he wanted. What did God want? God wasn't looking for simple obedience, Simon says. Is that your relationship with God? God's looking for an active participation in what God is doing in the world. You see, what God is doing with Abraham, he's helping Abraham step into the larger purposes for his life. That's why they were reiterated. He's walking down. Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And then what does God slip in there, verse 18? Abraham, Abraham you're listening. Let me remind you what I've called you to do. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. By the way, that includes the five cities of the plains in Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh. See, what God's doing with Abraham is he's helping Abraham grow a heart for the people of the world. See? He's trying to help Abraham grow up. That's what faith is about. There's nothing here in this chapter about a child... We talked about this last week. A property. Those were, the, those were the means to the end. And Abraham and his wife have been waiting for 25 years. We talked about this for a child. They're living in the promised land, but they don't really possess the promised land. They're sort of strangers in a strange land. But here, God says, listen, I want to move beyond the means to the end. 
This is what real faith is. We get so focused on the means. What Jesus was saying in the great Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, listen, friends, friends, disciples, quit worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where the economy's going, who's in the White House. You know, if you're going to have a child, get over it. That's what the world works about. Seek the kingdom of God, and God will take care of all of these things. Snap out of it, right? I'm going to take care of you. Stop thinking about the small things and start asking for bigger things. When you focus on those things, listen, all bets are off. Don't take yes for an answer. You need to ask for more. Here's the point. We exercise our faith when we ask for big things. Abraham didn't take yes for an answer, 50. Neither should you. And neither should I. When it comes to God's fulfilling his greater purposes for your life. What are these arrows for? When I was reading this passage, just what I thought of very quickly. Do not take yes for an answer. It's a very odd passage if you're a note taker. 2 Kings 13. And the, the, um, the, 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 there's this king named Jehorash. Jehoash. None of you have probably ever heard of him. And he's in trouble. And he's in trouble because the enemies of Israel, uh, uh, this country of Aram, they were, they were about to, to destroy this guy. So he comes to the prophet. Because in those days, they didn't have a Bible. So he comes to the prophet Elisha. He says, Elisha, I'm, uh, what am I, what's going to happen here? Can you help me? And Elisha says something to him. He said, listen, take your bow, take your arrow. And he says, I want you to open that window. First, first Kings 13, open the window and it's heading towards the country of Aram. He goes, now take that arrow and he says, just let it loose out the window. And while he lets it loose out the window, the prophet, uh, Elisha says, the arrow of the Lord of victory, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Just those little words by the prophet. And then when he gets done, the, 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 the arrow lands on the ground and Elisha says, you will surely destroy the Arameans, right? Wonderful. But then he says to um, the prophet, he says, listen, I want you to take those arrows in your hand, okay, that I've given you. And I want you to take those arrows, and he said, I want you to strike the ground. And so, so the guy takes the arrows, Jehorash, and he says, and he strikes the ground three times. And then after he strikes the ground, the prophet says, it says, the man of God was very angry with Jehoash. And he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. But now that you only struck the ground three times, you're only going to defeat them three times. You will not utterly destroy them, right? Don't take yes for an answer. What does that mean to you and me, guys? Look at these words. Okay, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Listen, when Abraham was talking to God, as I mentioned this last week, there was no Bible, right? There was no covenant. When Jehoash was talking to Elisha, what there was of the Bible, it was in a box in the temple, and maybe it was read by the priest once in a while. They had to go to talk to God directly, they had to go to the prophet. That's not where you go. 
that's not where I go. Listen to these words. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, watch this, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. Now, here's the key. Whatever is according to his will. Well, what's his will? Well, I don't go to a, I don't wait for God to show up like and knock on my door, Genesis chapter 18. I don't need to go find some prophet somewhere. It's right here. Right? If I want to know God's will, I go here. Here's why I go to have our living relationship with God. Here's where I go to hear what God says has to say to me. We we've said this at church many times, you know. Um, one, of our, one of our core habits we're trying to encourage you guys to have. And that's the habit is to spend time with God. And here's, here's what I've said to you before, and I will say it to you again. How do you do that? It's a very simple way to, to think about it, something that I've been practiced for many years, and that is this. You come to the Bible. Right now, for instance, we're reading Mark and Genesis, right? One chapter each a day, two chapters a day. And you do three things. You read it and you say this. Okay, primary source. What does it say? Okay, what does it say? Well, it says Jesus uh, and his disciples did this, that, and the other thing. What does it say? What does it say to me? That's where you got to slow down. Is God speaking to you? Because this is how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through the word of God. He says, Dave, this is what I have to say to you. What does it say? What does it say to me? And third, how do I get more of what it is that God says about me. See, this is what it means to grow as a Christian. This is what it means to get to the heart of the matter. This is what it means to not take yes for an answer. Now, I've been doing this for, I have a little book I didn't bring in here this morning, but I've gotten to a place, just a suggestion to you, because you could call it a promise book, just a little old um, diary or whatever you want to call it, a, a, a notepad. And I try to do this almost every day if I can. Very simple. It's a little bit of a discipline, but I spread a little paragraph. I mean, two or three sentences. What does it say? Well, Jesus and his disciples are bringing, uh, you know, the paralyzed man to Jesus. What does it say to me, right? And how can I get some more of it? And when I went through, just in preparation for today, I looked at my little book, and I found just several entries, okay? One was about courage, right, in Peter. One was about strength and temptation. One was about, um, you know, um, being more generous as a person. One was about releasing my prejudice and my bias, Acts 10. One was about um, being, having, asking for greater discernment for the people who, who were looking for Christ around me. One was about a greater work of sin in my life. One was about not Acts chapter, Mark chapter 5, not giving in to my fears, and, 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 and on and on and on, right? What does it say? What does it say to me? And God, I need some more, right? Do not take yes for an answer. This is what it means to grow in faith, guys. You got to get to the heart of the matter, okay? Listen, if you think reading the Bible is a duty, you know, kind of a check it off your list, you've completely have a misunderstanding of the Christian faith. You're not going to have, the Bible is the living word of God. It's the will of God. And there are promises upon promises upon promises for your life. But unless you get in it, what does it say? 
God, what are you saying to me? You're trying to say to me, Rob, that the holy God of the universe is going to speak to little old me about my life? Yes, I am. And if you don't know that, you don't, you, you, you're not even living by faith. And then, not only what is he saying to me, then he's saying, God, what do you have for me? How can I get more of this? Do not take yes for an answer. Last thing in this passage as we get ready for this, okay? We're going to take this together. Let God have the last word. Isn't this beautiful? May the Lord not be angry with me. Let me just speak once more. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking to Abraham, he left Abraham and returned home. Now, he has this newfound courage, Abraham. It's what I want for me. It's what I want for you, for us as a church. Five times in this passage, he moves God. Think about that. Think it was the last time you've done that or I've done that. He moved God five times. But then it comes to a sudden stop. And many people have said, you know, commentators, well, why did Abraham stop at 10? Well, some say he stopped at 10 because he satisfied his need for his, his nephew, etc. even though there's not 10 in the passage if you read it. And then some say he said, I'm only going to go so far. Right? I, Abraham got, he says, you know, I'm, how far am I going to push this? Right? So some would say that's why he stopped. But I would say this, that Abraham stopped at 10 because in a manner of speaking, everything, he had a black swan event. In other words, Abraham learned something in the course of this prayer about God that he didn't know when he started. Remember where the question begins. Will not the God of all the earth be just? Abraham's vision of God going into this was that Abraham, in a sense, was more just than God. How could God... Yes, God is righteous. And yes, the people of Sodom are largely unrighteous. This is a city that's wicked. God hears their cry. But what about the grandmothers? What about the little kids? What about the babies? What, God, how could you possibly do this? Is God this exacting judge? Measure for measure, right? Everybody gets their due. Everyone's day is coming. That's what he thought. But by the time Abraham got to 10... I think everything, I think he saw his black swan, right? He said, listen, what I thought about God is actually not true. Here's the point. God is actually more moved by the few that obey him than the overwhelming many that do not. This is what he just learned, right? God is not an exacting judge. He's not a moral scorekeeper. He's a loving God who actually seeks a way out of death for all people. Now listen carefully to these two verses and we're going to take communion. This is what the New Testament says about what I just said. Galatians 3.8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's people, think people groups. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All the nations will be blessed through you. Genesis 18, verse 18, right? God says, listen, I have a plan of how you're going to bless the world. And it's not going to be, every man is not going to live or die for his own sin. God actually honors the obedience of the few 
over the disobedience of the many. And then wait for it. Actually, it's the obedience of one. Watch these words carefully. This is a lot of theology in a few verses. Romans chapter 10. What Paul is explaining in these verses, which is what this is about, is exactly what Abraham is learning in its early form here in Genesis chapter 18. Listen carefully. He's talking about the relationship between the size of mankind's sinful nature, mine and yours included, and how the grace of God overwhelms it. Listen. But the gift, think Jesus Christ, is not like the trespass, think my sin and your sin or Adam's sin. For if the many die, if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more, circle that word, did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? He's saying, listen, it's not one for one. Nor can the gift of God be compared to the results of one man's sin. The judgment, speaking of Adam, followed one sin and brought condemnation, right? So the whole human race, in a manner of speaking, was judged because of one man's sin, and Adam all die. But the gift, speaking of Jesus' death and resurrection, watch this, followed many trespasses and justification. How many sins are covered by the gift of the obedience of one. Listen, you couldn't put a number to it. All For God so loved the world. Every sin that has ever been committed, you know, from, from Adam to me and you. That's what he's trying to say. The economy of God. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through Adam, one man, how much more? Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? This is what Abraham's coming to understand a little bit. This is the gospel <laughs> according to Abraham or the gospel advanced in the life of Abraham saying, listen, you think God is some kind of scorekeeper? You think God is some sort of you know, moral um, you know, exactitude, quid pro quo? You, 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 know, you reach this far, God's gonna give you that much back? Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? For God so loved the world. All the sins, I mean, all the sins of the world, it's like an ocean of sin. One man, the obedience of one, wipes it all away. For whoever has received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of the living God. This is what Abraham had happen. And guys, it's what needs to happen to you and me every single day in our lives, okay? We need to get to the heart of the matter, okay? We need to start to take, uh, not take yes for an answer. When it comes to what God wants to do in your life, what God wants to do in the life of this church, you're not asking too little. You're, you're not asking too much. You're asking far too little. God, what about 45? Let me, how about 30? How about 20? How about 10? You get the point? We need to ask for more, not less. And we need to let God have the last word. So let's prepare to do this together. This is an, what is the purpose of this uh, uh, communion, okay? Sharing this. Why did Jesus do this? He did this so that we might really understand this very lesson we're talking about. That 
he became sin for us, the whole world, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He was judged for our sin, all of our sin, all of our sin, right? So that we might become a different person. We might have his life live itself in our lives as we experience God's grace. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, okay? And he passed it and he said, this is the, my body, which will be broken for you. Take and eat, let's eat together. supper was ended the Passover supper Jesus took the cup and he passed it around they're having their own black swan event at the last supper for for generations it always was looking back to commemorating the the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt the the Passover lamb but see now it means something altogether different He's saying, listen, I'm talking about, about a past, not about a past event, but a future event. This cup represents my blood that will be shed in 24 hours, not just for your sin, but for the sins of the entire world. Let's drink together. Our God and Father, we come to you this morning and we acknowledge your presence in this room. We acknowledge, Lord, your presence in your word. We acknowledge your presence, Lord, in, even in this supper that we share, in this meal that we share, in, this, in these communion elements that we share. And Lord, we... We confess to you, I confess to you, that, Lord, we, we often um, are half-hearted in our walk with you. We are often um, afraid to ask. We are often um, keep things to ourselves. That, Lord, we expect so little because we know so little of who you are and what you have done. But we pray, Lord, I pray, that you would help us open our minds, open our hearts, Lord, to the beauty of your word, to the, to the wonder of your love and your grace, that we, Lord, might not take yes for an answer, that we might let you have the last word and we might continue more um, um, faithfully and more fully to seek your will, to do your will, and to join you in what you are doing in this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.